you're here. We're so glad. I'm so glad. I'm Sadia. I'm your host. I am a female. I am a black female. I am a actress. I am a wife. I am a mother. I am many things, but I am also curious. I'm really curious about the people in my life and the world around me. So this podcast for me is all about exploration, all about getting to know more about the world, getting to know more about the people in my world, getting to know more of my friends and their friends and so forth and so forth. I think you know where this is going. I appreciate you being here and I hope you enjoy the stories that you hear and I hope that they not only open your eyes to the world, but I hope that they help you find the story within yourselves. I'm Saudia Rashid, and this is That One Blank Friend. I'm sure if all my listeners had to raise their hand on this question, probably 85% of you could probably raise your hand at this point. How many of you know someone personally that has been dealing with cancer? I can't even see the hands going up, but I feel like there's probably a lot of nods, you know, a lot of raised hands wherever you are, a lot of, mm mm-hmm, yep, me. So hopefully this episode today provides a little insight for you. My friend Kimberly Dooley is here today to talk about her breast cancer journey. She is a breast cancer survivor, and she is here to tell us what's that like? What do you what do you feel like when you get the diagnosis? What happens after that to surgery? What's the aftermath? What's going on for real? Like what's going on? What's happening? And I'm so excited to have her here today. Personally, for myself, when I did this interview, uh, which was actually last year, um, I didn't know anyone at that point that personally I knew that had gone through breast cancer, survived or died. I didn't know either. I didn't know the story. So I really wanted someone that could provide a little bit of insight. And it's interesting, after the fact, I found out that I knew someone, one of my cousins was actually going through that journey right after I did this interview. So it's really interesting how that happened. And I actually still haven't been able to talk to that cousin personally about what happened with her. But uh, yeah, before then, I didn't know anyone. So I was really curious uh, about what it's like. Um, And I had a lot of conceptions about who got it. For instance, and I feel like a real idiot saying this. um, I didn't know any black women that had cancer, breast cancer in particular. So I think with me knowing what I knew, I thought, well, it wasn't really that prevalent. I don't I don't have anything to worry about just because I didn't have many black women in my family. And, you know, it's interesting now having a cousin, you know, it really made it clear to me that there's no one specific group. There's no ethnicity. There's no nothing that can escape the big C. Um, and there's still a lot of research, obviously, around it. There is still a lot to discover around cancer in general. There are so many different types. I didn't even know there were different types of breast cancer um, until this interview. So it was really eye-opening for me. I hope it will be eye-opening for you as well. I definitely learned once again that the 
wheels of health, <laughs> the wheels of healthcare do not churn fast. The wheels of healthcare are slow, very, 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 very slow. That is the big lesson I took away from this. So we all have to be vigilant in our um, health and we all have to be advocates for ourselves and learn as much as we can as possible. So yeah, let's get to it. So with me today, I have uh, the wonderful, the extraordinary, the beautiful, the amazing Kimberly Dooley. <laughs> too much. I'm, like I'm blushing. <laughs> I'm blushing. Thank you. That You're was welcome. really nice. You're welcome. I know, Kimberly, I'm trying to think of the first time I met you, because I know I met your sister Dana before I met you. Yes. I feel like I just met you out at auditions. Is no, that I... how... I think we met, like, I feel like at a gathering or something. Okay. With who? I have no idea. Okay. I don't know why I can't. Normally, I'm very good at remembering the exact moment I met somebody, but for yeah. some reason... It's muddled. Yeah, it's muddled. And I, I think it might be because we were, like, in that in a circle of people exactly. already. Exactly. Like, yeah, I think it was at some gathering, because then I wouldn't even know to, like, say hi to you at auditions. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't even know you. I mean, I would, but not really. Right. Not No, actually, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't have, you know what I'm saying, put it together. So I think we ha it had to be at a gathering, but yeah. it was years yeah, and years, years and years and years ago. Yeah. When we did bump into each other at an audition, uh, what was it, like three years ago at this point? Yeah. You, know, you were dealing with breast cancer. Yes. Actually, the aftermath of it. You, well, I don't want to say the aftermath. Still you going were, through Yeah, still, because it. it's... it's an ongoing thing. Long it's just, process. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but you were over, I would say, the bigger hurdles of, I guess, you were, you like, you had gone through the diagnosis and the treatment at that point. Well, and the chemo. The chemo, yes. But and I so, still had radiation, I believe, and surgeries, obviously. But yeah. But the chemo was done, which okay. is a huge part of it, you know. So I want to go back because I remember that day. I think we were in the auditioning room and you had, like you have now, you had your fan. Yes. <laughs> Everywhere I, like, I go. What's happening? Everywhere I go. And people are like, people love it. They Now they're everywhere, but back like three years ago and stuff, a lot of people didn't have them. Like I see them on sets a lot now right. that people have them. But even I, I just take it out of my purse and just start using it. They're like... We carry a fan? And I'm like, yes, it's necessary for my <laughs> peace and sanity. It is because the hot flashes that I get. Oh, goodness. Because oh. of the medication I'm on. But yeah. So I want to go back to the very beginning yes. of the diagnosis and how it all happened. Yes. Um, now, I don't, I, I don't know this. Mm -hmm. Is there a history of breast cancer in your family? No. Okay. No mm. history at all. On your mom or dad's side? No, but something now there is. But that, I'll, we'll get to that. Okay. But yeah, at the time when I was diagnosed, none of my aunts, uncles on both or grandmother, no, no history of okay. breast cancer or cancer. Okay. That was going to be my next question. Or even cancer, cancer period. Cancer period. Okay. period. Um, on both sides. So, but I found out, you know, going on this journey and through this journey, my oncologist said most likely, you know, mostly the people who are diagnosed, it's not passed down. It's, it's a small percentage of people who have it that, that, oh, their family has it. It's actually more people who don't have any family members that have it, you get it. I wow. mean, that's a higher percentage than people who do. So that shocked me too, because I always thought, oh, if your parents or your aunt or yeah. something, if it runs in your family, then you're going to get it. Yeah, Which, that's what I thought. Yeah, but uh, most of the diagnoses nowadays, I don't know, 
I don't know how long, but that's what my oncologist told me. He was like, yeah. That's so interesting. I know. So random. Okay. Because so... I was like, oh, I should be cool. I should be fine. <laughs> like this isn't running my family. I'm good. And I don't carry the dream, the gene. The, br- the BRCA. The BRCA, the BRCA gene yeah. as well. Because so. I know there are a lot of people that carry that gene mm-hmm. and have had parents, mothers that have had cancer. And so they choose uh, to uh, get a mastectomy. Because of that. Preventative, yeah. Preventative mastectomy. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, I actually taught a girl who was going through that issue, who was having a really hard time because she, her mother had died and she had just found out that she had it and she was really wrestling with the difficult choice of whether to do it or not and I think she decided to do it. Yeah, once you Um, have the gene, it's a high chance. It's a it's a higher chance, probable chance that you're going to get, get it. Either ovarian cancer or breast cancer. Or some, yeah, you have, your genes are bent towards Skewed that. in that yeah, direction. Skewed yeah. in that direction, yeah. Okay, so. Like Angelina Jolie, that's what she Oh, yeah, she yeah, did. yeah, she did. That's the famous, yeah. yeah, she had the genes, so she just, and her mom passed of that, so that's why she got all that. Yeah, she did it. But for but, me. But for you, yeah, for that was me. not the case. Yeah, no. Um, so I always did self-checks in the shower. I mean, not religiously or anything like that. But every now and then I'll just check and stuff. And I was, you know, you're usually familiar with your body. You know yeah. when something doesn't feel right or something's different. Like, oh, where'd this mole come from? Like, you're you're aware of your own body. So I was doing a, just a random check in the shower when I was taking a shower and I felt a little lump and I was like oh what that wasn't there before like what's that and it was so tiny and so small but I had health care so I was like let me go get this <laughs> <laughs> might as well use it you know isn't it sad that like that that becomes a determinant like Oh, you know what? You can't just go to the doctor. You're like, I have insurance. Now I'm going to go to the doctor. Exactly. I know, isn't that sad? And I can't imagine the people who are, you know, maybe felt something before but didn't have insurance. Yeah. And so they're like, I can't afford to go to the doctor for a maybe or just a, oh, yeah. Who knows? Because there was no pain or anything. I didn't feel lethargic, nothing. I had no signs other than feeling just a little, little tiny lump. And, but I had health insurance. So I was like, oh, I guess I should go. So literally, I made an appointment within the week. Okay. So, like, I saw my primary doctor, and I said, oh, I just felt this little lump, just thought I would, you know, check it out, or whatever, since I have healthcare. And she felt it, and she was like, yeah, I feel a little something there. Let's just get you a mammogram. Why not? You know? And I was like, okay, cool. So then I got my mammogram, which took a long time. I mean, getting doctor's appointments, I found, it is so hard because it's so backed up. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know? It took me, I think, like... Three weeks, okay. if not a month, to get... No, I think it was, like, maybe three weeks. Okay. That's still, like... Yeah, that's still... Yeah. When your doctor's like, yeah, you should go. And I'm like, ah. Oh. But I was still wasn't alarmed because, again, it didn't run in my family. Right. And I was... I didn't... I didn't know all the details. Was this of... your first formal mammogram? It is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Because I was under age. Right. Um, so, anyway, I went to go get my mammogram and... That was a horrible experience. It's my first time. And I guess there was a lady who didn't usually work there. We had to do that mammogram. Have you had one? Yes, I just Ugh. had my oh, you just... first one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I didn't know you can't get them while you're breastfeeding. Oh, I didn't know that. So, yeah, yeah. 
in, in, in case you well, ever need to know or sense. any of our, you know, listeners. Yeah, you can't do it while you're breastfeeding. Yeah. It's something about the, the ducts and it can affect, obviously, you know, because yeah. um, you're exposed to radiation. Exactly. Um, see, it's everyone's path is different. Like, yeah. you just don't know. Yeah, I had no idea. See? Information. So anyway, I got my mammogram. But anyway, like I was saying she was new or something. I had to do it like six times. Oh like, it was so terrible it was so <laughs> and she was like no yes sorry i'm so she kept she was really nice but i was like are, are you confident i i i i mean it, it was well painful. yeah it was bad <laughs> she was six times yeah I mean. it was it was treacherous anyway so um they said my breasts were dense so they said after the mammogram they said let's do an ultrasound as well so we did the ultrasound and um they're like um, we're going to, you know, give these images to the doctor. And if she needs to talk to you, she will, if not, blah, blah, blah. So I was just waiting for my results there on site for like 20 minutes. And then I saw the doctor and the doctor was like, um, we think you should get a biopsy done because we do see something there. Um, and yeah, we should get that done. And I was like, okay, okay. But she didn't really give me a lot of information. She just says, we see, she, she actually pulled up the images of my ultrasound and then she was circling, you know, some of the, like the, the mass, I guess. And there was like a one big, bigger one and then one smaller one. And then, so she was like, yeah, I think we should get, get you a biopsy. And could you really see them on? Yes. Okay. It was visible. Okay. Like you could see through the ultrasound, like there was something there. And so I was like, oh my gosh. And then you're like panicking. You're like, oh, yeah. I'm not even, and at this point, I'm not panicking, but I'm just like, oh no. Like I thought I would be done after the mammogram and ultrasound. Oh, you're fine. It's not nothing, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then, you know, my sister-in-law was like, oh, well, I've done that. I've gotten a biopsy and it came back, you know, nothing. And, you know, and I was like, okay. So that encouraged me. Like, it's probably nothing. My mom was like, it's probably nothing. Everyone's like, it's probably nothing. And I'm like, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah probably, it's probably nothing. nothing. <laughs> nothing so then it takes a, a month for me to get in to get the biopsy and i think i explained this last time sorry my fan if you guys hear this <laughs> i'm having a hot <laughs> my fans on girl fan on fan on. um so we'll when you get your biopsy i had no idea that they use local anesthetic and you're awake and oh, wow so they are you literally are in a room and no one explains anything to you, really. I think they do it every day, so they think that everyone else knows. But I had no idea yeah. what a biopsy was. I've never been sick. I've never been in the hospital, like, nothing. So they have no bedside manner, really. It's just kind of, they're like, just doing their procedures day in, day out. They don't talk. They don't tell you how right. it works. You're just yeah. in there as a body. Just... I mean, they tell you, like, okay, we're going to do a biopsy. This is, you know, but we're only lose. They, they explain stuff, but I had no idea going in that I was going to be awake or I don't know what I expected. I had no idea. I never had a biopsy. Well, that seems like a key thing they might want to tell somebody. I know. (laughs) So they, you know, they kind of, I'm in a chair and they kind of lean me back and they, you know, put like a tarp or something around to, you know, except for the exposed area that they were going to biopsy. Like, you know, and this was your right breast, my right breast. And so, I'm awake looking and then they cut me open. Blood starts spurting <gasps> everywhere. No. And it's just coming out of me. And I'm looking like, ah! Like blood's just spurting out of me. So random. Then they stick, you know, like this basic, this, this medical, I don't know. It's kind of like a, 
kind of like, it looks like a shot, kind of, but it's not. It's like a longer, it's hard to explain what Like it a is. long needle? Yeah, it's kind of like a long needle. And they put that in there, and then they put something in, through that to grab, to get the biopsy. Anyway, so they did the biopsy, which was traumatizing, because, you know, I never saw my blood spurting out. It wasn't just like a little... No, it was like spurting. It's so, so crazy. So it's like your breast becomes like a little fountain. Yes, yeah. No, it's, seriously, <laughs> oh it was God. like a fountain. That's how much blood was coming out. Like, they should warn you, like, there might be a lot of blood. Like, they didn't say anything about Yeah, what about if the you blood. had passed out or something? So I'm just like, okay, let's do it. I didn't know it was going to spurt like <laughs> So it spurt. So anyway, got that done. And then um, about, I want to say... A week later, I got my results. So I was at home and my primary doctor called me with the results. And they said, we got the results of the biopsy and it's positive, which means I have cancer. Right. And what did they tell you? A stage or? Oh, you don't know any, like, this is just the beginning. They just know that it, it's, it's, there. it's there, that there's cancer cells found in the biopsy. But they, you don't know, that's so far down the line. I didn't learn that until like a year later. I felt like it took a long time to even find that information because right. you have to do so many tests and do, it's just a long process. So she told me over the phone and um, I was like, I was in shock because I couldn't believe that she said, you know, it came back, po- your test results came back positive. And she was like, you know, we're going to set you up with an oncologist um, and all that stuff. And she was like, do you have any questions for me? And I was like, no, I mean, not right now, <laughs> you know. And she, and I was like, well, thank you. Thank you very much. And she's like, OK, thank, you know, you're welcome. OK, we'll, we'll talk soon. And then that was it. And then. I didn't cry or break down or I think I was just like, what? Is this really happening? It's one of those surreal moments that everyone says it's a cliche, but it really is because you really don't believe it. You're like, really? Okay. And then I called my husband immediately after that and he was at work and I told him and he rushed home and then spent time with me and we were just like, what is this? What's happening? It was just so crazy because I didn't know anyone who went through uh, battling cancer and no one close to me at all. So I didn't know what to expect right? or what this really means or I know people die from it, but I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is crazy. Yeah, but you have no really insight into the actual journey of it. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I think that's more of like, you just don't know. So I ended up telling my immediate family, but I, I'm such a private person. The same day? I think it was the next day. I want. I think I told my sister right away. No, I think I told my sister the next day. So yeah, I think the next day because my husband came home and we spent some time. And I think the next day I told my family what was happening, what was going on, and they were just like, "What? Like they? You, oh my! You know, there's just no words. Like, what yeah. do you say to someone? You know? So um, after that." I got assigned an oncologist who was amazing. He's um, his name is Alex Macalino. He's awesome. He's been doing it for like twenty five years, which made me Shout feel out better. To Alex. Yes. Shout out. <laughs> um and he was so his bedside manner was amazing and wonderful and so of course I had a lot of questions and 
It was just a lot going on. So after that... So you that, had this appointment within the same week? The no. First, no. Maybe maybe the next week. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's time. <laughs> so drawn out. Oh, everything takes time. I so. think you think that, like, when someone gets a heavy diagnosis like that, that things move so, you know, it's like, all right, we're doing it. And, 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 and it obviously does not. <laughs> no. It, not until we got to the phase where we found out that it spread to my lymph nodes that's when everything started. All my appointments were like, boom, 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 boom. boom, boom. Like, done. Done, done. Like, that. But at this, at this stage, no. Because you don't know what it is. Maybe... Yeah, they it, didn't know the stage. They thought you had exactly, more time. Exactly. Right. Or okay. if it's just in the breast. But it, since it spread, it was like, whoa, it could be spreading throughout my whole body. Yeah. Okay. So, you find out, mm-hmm. you tell your husband, then you tell your family. At what point does it set in for you emotionally in that week? When you show up to the appointment or it's sometime before your first appointment? I'm telling you, it, ne- it did not hit me. I'm telling you, I didn't cry until, like, way down, way down the line. The line. Okay. Way down the line. Yeah. Because I was just like, what? What? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Well, I'm not a crier in general, but I just didn't cry. Because I didn't know yet. I didn't right. think, I, for some reason, I didn't think I was going to die. Like, I don't, I don't know. I never thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to die. We're, oddly enough. I don't know. I think that's a good thing. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, you know, I think we all think that the first initial thought should, because we all know that that is the worst case scenario. Right. But I think it says something about, you know, whether it was shock, whether it was optimism. I think there's something to be said for that might have a part in your recovery of not focusing on that. For sure. All of my doctors commented on my attitude and being positive, and that helps. You have no idea. Like, that helps you healing your mind, your spirit, your body, everything. And I think also I'm very, like, my mind works strategically, and I feel like I didn't have all the information. So how can I make a, like, oh, I'm going to die? Like, I don't know. I have no idea about anything. All I know is that the test came back positive. And that I have to go see an oncologist. Now I get to ask questions. Now we get to run more tests. Now we get to, you know, when it started getting deeper in, then I was like, (laughs) then I finally broke down. I think after when I almost died and then I think I broke down. But um, so, yeah, I saw my oncologist and he kind of said, um, we're going to get you uh, an MRI so we can see how big it is, um, if it's spread anywhere and all that good stuff. Um, and so I think I just had general questions for him. And of course, one of my questions was, um, is there a holistic way that we could, you know, I, I, <laughs> things like, like I could be doing I'm to I'm sure you're myself. not the first person that oh, asked that question. No, he was like, hmm. So his That's answer, cute. I know. That's really cute. Oh, it's not nice. So um, he was like, yeah. Okay. He was like, yeah, no. He says a lot of people have, you know, asked that same exact question and some people go that route, the holistic route, but they end up coming back anyway because it spreads or it doesn't work. So what he told me was, you know, because I was like, I can drink some green juice and, you know, whatever. And he said, whatever, because the cancer cells are fast acting cells, any like nutrients that you get in your body, it's going to that first. Oh. So you think you're getting all this healthy, like, oh, I'm, you know, feeding my body healthy stuff so it can conquer this cancer. It's going to the cancer. So it's not breaking it down. It's giving it fuel, basically. Um, So I was like, dang. 
<laughs> so we, I got my MRI, and that's when I found out that um, it spread. The size, I found out the size of the mass, which was six centimeters, which is really, it's big. It was big. And then um, I found out that it spread to my lymph nodes. And through the lymph nodes in my right arm, so through the lymph nodes, that's how the cancer can spread throughout your body and through to your other organs and things like that and get into your blood and all that kind of stuff. So how long after you went to your first visit did you find out that it spread? I think that was like another week and a half. Okay, so it's pretty... It's always like a week, yeah, week and like a half. Week. Okay. So he set that up for me and then we found out that they saw some traces of something in my lymph nodes. And I was like, oh, why... So I had to get another biopsy since they saw something in there in my lymph nodes. They said, well, let's see what it is. So they had to do another biopsy for the lymph nodes to see if it came back positive. And at this point, so I found the lump in July. Now we're in, I want to say October is when I found out the results of the biopsy of my lymph nodes. So yeah, like three months, you know. Yeah, that's a that's a long time. To, <laughs> I know <laughs> to be in in you know, yeah. cancer limbo. Exactly. Yeah. So my an oncologist set me up with a surgeon, and funny enough, my first appointment with my surgeon, she's the one who gave me her name is Doctor Ellie Jones. Now she was bomb. She was my favorite doctor. She was my surgeon. Amazing. I love her. Dr. Ellie Jones, I love you. Shout out. She was she was so amazing. Like, she's the one who hugs you. Like, she's like mm-hmm. that warm person that's just amazing. But anyway, so it was my first time meeting with her, and she wanted to talk to me about my options of doing a lumpectomy or mastectomy or whatever, you know, decision that I want to do, and gave me all the information. And she had the results of um, my biopsy for my lymph nodes, and she said it was positive. Now, once that was said, that it was positive that's when everything started going really 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 fast and my oncologist said you know after getting the MRI seeing the size of the mass and seeing that it spread already he said I think we think the best course of action oh also there's different types of cancers mine was estrogen driven okay yeah I forgot to skip all that so I found out that my cancer is estrogen driven there's different receptors. So everybody is different. There's different mixtures of cancers or like what kind of receptors you have. And that depends on what kind of treatment you're going to get. So everyone's different. So even if you have breast cancer, there are variations within the type of breast cancer you have. Yes. And what's fueling it. Exactly. So yours was estrogen driven. Yes. Which is the good. You want that because okay. you're, you can control your estrogen levels. Your hormones, basically. It's hormone-driven, I should say. Gotcha. Not just estrogen, but hormones in general, which is estrogen. But, uh, yeah. So that's what I found out. If that's the best one to have, do you know what's the one? Is there one that's like, ooh, this is a little tougher? I forgot what it was called. I was praying I didn't get it. (laughs) Because they were doing a lot of blood work on me. So I think, I forgot what the, it was like a her to something. Can't remember the other one. Because you only remember what you have. Right, yeah. (laughs) You're like, I don't have a bad one? All right, good. Yeah, exactly. So there is another one. I can't remember the name of it right now. But there are several different factors that contribute to what kind of cancer, what kind of treatment you're going to get. Okay. Um, So, yeah. Where am I at now? You have (laughs) spoken with your surgeon. You know that you have a lymph node cancer. You know that it's spread. Yes. There. So, Um, yes. You are now weighing your options as to a lumpectomy or a mastectomy. 
Yes. So a lumpectomy, usually the mass is under, it has to be under like four or five centimeters to be even able to get a lumpectomy. If it's bigger than that, which mine was, they don't suggest you getting a lumpectomy. They suggest getting a mastectomy. Okay. And um, it was my choice to get a bilateral mastectomy, which is a double mastectomy, okay. both both breasts removed. Now, why did you make that decision? So, two two reasons. Number one, I didn't want to have to think, what if it comes back in my left breast? So my doctor, my oncologist was telling me a lot of women do both because they don't want to keep thinking about it constantly in their brain. It's going to come back in my left. It's going to come, it's going to, I'm going to have to do this all over again. And in my mind, I said, let's just do one and done. Like, that's what I'm aiming for. I'm aiming for, I don't want to revisit any of this ever again. So I said, let's just do, take them, (laughs) take them both. And then that's oddly the same. I feel like the same thing people who have kids or twins think. (laughs) Oh, right, right. One and done. Like, I don't want to deal with this ever, (laughs) ever again. again. Exactly. You get that rough patch and they're young and they grow up like, oh, thank God, I'm going to do that again. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then the secondly is because it's kind of, it's difficult with a lumpectomy to have your breasts match. Okay. You know, and you would have to kind of like wear an insert in your bra all the time. So this way they're both... The same size. The same size and look the same. And I don't have to yeah. worry about put stuffing a bra with the, you know, anything. It's yeah. just, it was, seems like a lot more work that way. So I decided that. And then he said that for me, I'm going to do chemo first because my mass was so big. They wanted to shrink the mass. So um, I do chemo first. You hear people, oh, I did my surgery first. Then I did chemo. Then radiation. And it just varies. It just depends on your body and what's going on. But I did chemo first. And before I did chemo, um, since I don't have any kids, he suggested that I look into freezing my eggs because the chemo would mess up my reproduction, reproductive organs, my ovaries and all that stuff. So that was thrown at me. Ooh, and I that's literally, a heavy thing. No, I, I, had, mean... I had no idea that that, I didn't even think, that didn't even cross my mind until he told me. And then he was so sweet. He's like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Did he see it in your face? Yeah, because I was like, wait, what? <laughs> wait, wait, what? I had no idea. I had no idea. So after after that, everything just moved really quickly. So he said, in, the, in that same visit, he was like, yeah, you know, I think you should uh, get, your eggs harvested. And I think I made an appointment like two days after that just to get information right. on it. Because now you, now that's another thing you have to handle and you have no idea how to handle it. Exactly. But he said, we need to do it as quickly as possible because we can't start your chemo until that's done. <sighs> so I was like, okay. So I made an appointment right away. I think it was like two days later. And then I met with an IVF specialist, Dr. Croner, Lindsay Croner. She's awesome too at UCLA. And, and you know, another thing, no, your uh, insurance doesn't cover this. Oh, see, that was going to be the my IVF next question. does not cover it. And Which it's... is so interesting because it's caused because of the chemotherapy. So you would think that because of that reason, because it's a medical reason in the first place that you have to get the IVF, that it would be covered. So exactly. that was out of pocket. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Under these circumstances, and the insurance should cover it. it yeah, they, totally. It really should. And that's just an injustice. I mean, what if you don't have the money? That's, it's expensive. It's like twenty grand. Yeah, I mean that's just and that's just really, the egg harvesting. That's not doing the IVF after. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's to hear that is just really heartbreaking because, like you said, what if you have to make that decision and you don't have the money and you're choosing between 
creating a life and saving your own life. You know, no yeah. one should have to make that decision. That really no one does. The insurance like, system. Oh, I hate it. It's the worst. <sighs> it is the worst. And I was shocked. I was shocked. Anyways, so I met with <laughs> Dr. Croner at UCLA. She was awesome. She gave me all like a lot of information. But I just went in there for a consultation with my husband and we started like that day, everything. Oh. Because I guess my ovulating where I was already, it was like prime, oh. like ready to go. So I think we started the process literally, we started, oh, there are certain nonprofits that will give you some of the medicines for free because okay. you do have cancer. Live strong. Okay. Oh, that's I believe good. that's what it was. Live strong. So I got, we got some of the medication for free. Which oh, that's good. Is a blessing. Yeah. Still expensive, but that helps. But, yeah. I can't imagine if I we didn't have that. Like I'll be like, oh, we can't. But um, so that helped. So anyway, and then we started the IVF. Like maybe a couple days after that, we had to run tests, do all this stuff. So basically, with egg harvesting, they give you all of these hormones that you have to inject in yourself daily, like three shots a day, um, in your stomach, and that's for like six days. Or seven days. So when you're doing it, like I had bruises all over my stomach because you're you're shooting yourself and it's painful. And then as that ha- as that as as that's happening, you check in with the doctors to see how basically the medication that they're giving you is making all of your eggs grow all at once. So normally when you have your period, it's just one egg dropping and then it, you didn't get pregnant. So it, you know, all the, it just gets discarded. So with IVF, not, well, it is IVF, but um, they give you the, hor- I think it's hormones and it just grows all your eggs. So they're monitoring that, seeing how they don't want your eggs to grow too big to harvest. It has to be a certain centimeter. Like it's weird, it's a lot. So anyway, did that, found out that, my eggs were doing great. I had, I was what? I was 36. So I had a lot of eggs. <laughs> well, that's good. Cause you're right at the, cause um, I know, I think geriatric pregnancies. It's are 35. Cons- yes. 35, which yeah. is crazy. That didn't even make I sense. know. I hate so, that they call it that. I know it's horrible. It um, is geriatric pregnancy. It's horrible. But anyway, so I was happy to know that I had a lot of eggs. The egg harvesting comes. I had 40 eggs. Like At the they, same time in your that body. They, yes, that they harvested. <laughs> my my doctor was shocked. She was like, oh my, you, just, you had so You're fertile many. fertile <laughs> Yeah. She was like, you had so many eggs. Like That was like the blessing part of it. Because I was like, oh, at least I have eggs. Yeah. So we, we basically chose to do embryos instead of um, just freezing the eggs. And, um, so yeah, we have 10 kids in the, in the freezer right now, which is great. So that went well. So basically I'm going to stop you for a second because I realized I forgot to ask you something Uh during this time. I mean, throwing out what you do for a living. You're an actress. Oh yeah. Like me. Yeah. Um, (laughs) so I didn't ask how up to this point, how has it affected your career? Did you just have to just put it on hold? I did. I had to call my agents and managers and say, this is what I'm going through and I'm not going to be able to audition. I don't even know when. Because at that time, yeah, I didn't can... even know how long the process... You never know. You just, you're just going through the journey. You just don't know when it's going to end or what's happening because there's a lot of factors yeah. that are into, that go into play. So I had to tell them, yeah. So I, my work stopped completely during this, this time. And, and also I had a nine to five. Okay. But I worked from home. Okay. But I told them as well. And that was stressful because they only gave me three months off, basically. And 
after my first surgery, I, I tried to go back to work and, and I just out. couldn't, I just couldn't. It was just too painful. I was still, there's still so much going on, you know? So I ended up leaving. Now, why was it painful? What were you doing? Um, just sitting because they did surgery and under my lymph nodes and everything. Oh, and I'm okay. sitting at a computer with the mouse and moving and typing and sitting yeah. there that long and then just mentally as well, going through yeah. all this. And now I'm supposed to, and my job was stressful. So it's just not good. And, and you know, my stress levels have to be low. They want right. me to be stress-free and all that uh, kind of stuff. So I had to like let my nine to five job go, yeah. which I was, I mean, <laughs> was I mad about it? And nope. <laughs> because honestly, I didn't, I was doing well as an actor, I was making a living as an actor, but I just kept the job because that's just how I am. I'm just like, don't quit. Like, just keep doing it until you yeah, can't do it anymore. Right. Save money. We want to buy a house. So all that stuff was going in. I was just like, I'm going to keep doing, keep going until I can't go anymore. Um, but then with this, when this came up, it was just like, it's not even worth it. Yeah. My health is more important, yeah. you know. And then how did your agents react when you told them? They were so awesome. They're still my agency managers. <laughs> I'm still with them to this day. But my agent had gone through battling cancer, different kind of cancer. But um, so he understood. He was like, you know, all for it, like all for me and all that stuff. So and he battled it twice Oh wow! because it came back. Yeah. Um, so and then my my managers did a whole documentary on cancer and about the um, health system and how it's rigged against us and like we should be finding better ways. So they were already... Oh, so they were already entrenched and kind of in that world, both of them, so they knew both. what you were going through. Exactly. More probably than you did at that time. Yes, exactly. So they were very understanding. Um, but it sucked for me because I was on a roll. You know, you feel like you have yeah, momentum and you're going yeah. and then you're like, everything <laughs> just stops. Yeah. It felt like life interrupted. That's what it felt like. Life interrupted. Like everything had to stop. Everything. So, Oh, that was difficult for sure. Now, because I didn't know that you had a nine to five yeah. during that time before. So mm -hmm. my question to you before we continue with the rest of the story, because this is just on my mind. When you think about the life that you had before this diagnosis, mm -hmm. would you consider any part of it really stressful? Because yeah. you mentioned that the nine to five was kind of stressful. Yeah. And then doing that with the auditioning, with your home life, in hindsight, do you look at it and do you think, oh, yeah, that was like a really stressful situation? Yes. I still look at it back like that was hella stressful. Like, why did I do that? Why did I do that to myself? <laughs> like, why was I doing that? Why? It's not even worth it. Everything like going through something like this, you look back like, why was I putting myself through that? I didn't even need yeah. to, but just crazy Kimberly, <laughs> just like, I don't know. Like, I don't know why I was, and I'm the type of person when I do work or if I commit to something, I give a hundred percent. So even though I had flexible hours, even if I went to an audition, you know, I would get emails like, oh my gosh, I gotta get back to work. I gotta get back to home so I can like respond. I can respond a little bit on my thing, but if they're asking me for reports or stuff, I'm like, ah. so I could never like just really relax relax and you need you know that yeah. as an actor you know you need to be in the zone and like just thinking focusing on your audition and what you have to do there and not thinking about something else and i would always be thinking about work when i went on auditions always i'm surprised i booked anything <laughs> well that also shows you have a you know high threshold for stress probably yeah i think so you know because some people they hit a certain point and then they're just like i am tapped out and I just think there are certain people that have a capacity to maintain that level at a little higher pace 
And you might have been one of those people. Like, I think my husband is one of those people because there's certain stuff that just stresses me out. And I'm like, I, I don't understand how you can still function. <laughs> like three hours of sleep, like still two job. How does that happen? And he's like, yeah, it's just got to be done. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to monitor that <laughs> and keep one eye on you because normally like if I'm stressed nine times out of 10, you know it. I, I try to keep it, it together, but it's really yeah. hard for me to contain it. So you're probably one of those people that's like cool, but like, it's just bubbling yes, underneath. Internal. Yeah. Like stress like you probably wouldn't see it but my stomach's in nuts that's when i know i'm like oh kimberly you need to calm down because you have too much going on stuff is like you just i'm like breathe <laughs> just breathe looking back i'm like how was i doing all that it was a very demanding job and to and also do acting full-time like actually you know going out on a regular basis yeah. is a lot and then with family being a wife and just everything you know yeah, that's a lot. It's a that's lot. a lot. So two full-time jobs and, you know, that. You were, your mind was working all the time. Like, you mm -hmm. never had downtime. Never. Ever. Ever, nope. ever. Not even in my dreams. Yeah. Thinking about work. I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> you know, you're thinking, dreaming about work. I'm like, oh, gosh. Yeah, it was a lot. It's also that idea that's funny of, of people, you know, thinking that because it's at home, that it's going to be relaxing. Like, oh, I have a job or even if it's a part-time job, but I get to work from home. You're not the only person I've heard say this, that it, that they thought it was going to be a little bit more, oh, I have more, you have more freedom, definitely, but you have to make up that freedom. Exactly. By still doing your job. And sometimes that means that you, at the end of the day, get less freedom than you thought you were going to get. Exactly. Because you still got to do that job. So, yeah. but you're just doing it from home. It's like, great, yeah. I get to be in my house coat and like you sip tend, coffee. You tend to work more. Yeah. When you're at home. Oddly enough, I don't know. I don't, it's weird because the access is there. Instead of work, you're like, oh, I have to get home. I have to do that. You're already home. So it's like, let me just finish this up. Let me just work on this and just get it done. You know, because it has to get done or whatever. You end up working. I felt like you feel like yeah. we work more <laughs> when you're working from home. Okay, so I'm getting I'm getting a full picture of your life at this time before. Yeah. And fast forwarding back to you had just undergone uh, IVF. Yes, uh, okay. egg harvesting. Egg, egg harvesting, mm -hmm. excuse me. Okay, so you did the egg harvesting. You had hella eggs. Hella eggs. <laughs> Was it 10 again? Won't he do it? <laughs> they know they retrieve 40. 40. And okay. we made 10 embryos. Okay. That's right. 10 embryos. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, they're in the freezer and they're, and my doctor was happy with, because sometimes they may not be viable or they may not be in good shape. And, but mine were like super embryos, like ready to go. <laughs> and I was so happy. I was like, yes. The lifting like, weights. Like, I have some good news for you. These are all amazing. And I'm like, oh. So that was like, there's like good news, you know, here and there. So that was really good to hear. Yay. So I had my egg harvesting on Monday and then I got my pick line on Wednesday, which a pick line, when you get chemo, they can't use your veins because your veins will collapse with the type of chemo that I was getting. There's peel form chemo. There's everyone has a different cocktail in their, you know, chemo. So you either get a port, which is something that's like up on your chest, right above your chest, like your, yeah, it's on your chest and they cut into your skin and they put this, I don't know how, it's a port, it's called a port um, in there. And then that's how they give you your chemo. 
But since my doctor, my oncologist knew that I was an actor, he didn't want to leave a big scar on my chest. So we went with a pick line and a pick line, which is here. This is, it's a very tiny scar. Well, this is the second pick line that I had. This is what it should have been like. I found out later, I'll go through this real quick, but this was treacherous. This was not, it should not, it should look like this one, not like this one. Anyway, so I went to get my pick line. You have to have like basically like a little surgery. So you have to go to the hospital and um, they put a tube all the way here through to your heart, basically. But while they were doing, putting in the pick line, the doctor, the surgeon hit an artery or something and blood was spurting everywhere. I thought this was, you know, my first (laughs) biopsy when there was a little spurt of blood. Like there was, this was a waterfall of but just and again you're awake and you can see this yes and i'm looking and it was hurting so much oh my god because he started to dig in i guess to try to close off the artery i thought this is what a pick this is what happens when you get a pick line this is horrible so blood everywhere everywhere i was like (laughs) he didn't the doctor didn't say nothing he didn't say anything to me like something went wrong nothing because I found this out when I got my second pick line, when I got an infection down the road, he did it. And I was like, oh, I'm so anxious. Like, it's just, she was like, oh, it should be, it's not a bad, you know, it's really simple. It's not, and I was like, well, my last experience, you know, I had, and I explained to him, he was like, oh, that shouldn't have happened. I think he hit an artery and that's probably why all the blood was there. I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, what? Isn't that crazy? That they, is because crazy. Because you don't know how it's supposed to go or you don't know. Yeah. I've never done it before. And so he, the first doctor. We're not going to say his name. I don't even, I don't <laughs> even know his name. He wasn't my doctor. It was just, he does those procedures. Right. Well, we wouldn't say his name even if yeah. we knew his Well, but, no, we would say his name. Yeah, I would. put him on blast. Yeah. But, but anyway, so anyway. So on Wednesday, I get my pick, pick line. So Monday, egg harvesting. Wednesday, pick line. Friday, I get my first chemo. And it's, I thought it wasn't too bad, you know, when you're actually there. So you go, when you get your chemo, you go to the facility or wherever your doctor is, wherever you get your chemo. Mine was at my doctor's office and, um, you sit there for like three or four hours and they slowly drip the chemo in, into you basically. So that process was really simple. It's not painful. You know, once you have the pick line in that, (laughs) I can't believe you did that. Oh, and also with pick lines, which is crazy. They usually don't let people get pick lines because it's hard to take care of. You can't get it wet. So I literally, every time I took a shower, I had to like wrap my arm in saran wrap and like make sure it didn't get wet because it's really easy to get infected. So anyway, that was a whole nother thing. Every time I take a shower, it was just hell. So anyway, Friday, I get my first chemo. It went great there. Came home and I was feeling, you know, not okay. So I was just like laying down on my bed. And again, I've never had chemo before. So I felt kind of sick, nauseous. And I'm like, oh, this is just what you see in the movies. And like, you know, oh yeah, people get nauseous. You don't feel well. This is like normal. Um, and then on Saturday, I got even worse. It was like, I couldn't drink any water. I couldn't keep anything down, anything. My husband, my poor husband was going in the kitchen, like making different things. Cause I, he knew I needed to eat, but everything he made for me was just like disgusting. And I would throw it up or I couldn't even sip water. And it was like nothing. I couldn't, couldn't keep anything down. Cause I kept vomiting. And then that went all 
all day Saturday and I was so weak I couldn't make it to the bathroom so my husband had to like pull our desk chair that had rollers and like get me in the chair and roll me to the bathroom and then like use the bathroom and then put me back in the chair roll me back and like all this stuff I I kept passing out on him and he was worried he was like you passed out on me like twice on Saturday and then I woke up the next day on Sunday and he said I was white I'm black by the way Okay, I got melanin. And he said I was white. And I passed out again on him. And at this point, I literally, this is the weirdest thing. You can't move. It's like someone has numbed you from the neck down. Like you, I can look, but I, I was like, my body, I can't, I can't move. So and you were trying to move your yes, body and you just couldn't. I could not. So that's when my husband's like, oh, hell to the no. Something's not right. He's a paramedic, by the way. And he feels so bad to this day that he was like, I should have took you on Saturday. I could I should have known that something wasn't right. But we're thinking these. this is just yeah. chemo. And no one told you what was going to happen after that. So you had no reason to assume that yeah. anything was going to go wrong. Just the normal stuff that you yeah. will feel nauseous. You will vomit. You will do this stuff. But not. I didn't know at this level. So right. I sink a pole, whatever that means. That's, what, that's like a medical term. Meaning that I kept passing out um and so my husband calls my brother to get me in the car because my husband knew if we called 911 and the medics came they would not take me to my hospital they would take me to the closest hospital which was i think was sentinel hospital so he knew that i wasn't going to get the care that i needed so he was smart enough to call my brother they my husband puts clothes on me like somehow just I, i'm on the on our bedroom floor by the way, like this. He's putting clothes on me because I can't move. I'm like, eh. And I'm like in and out. And then my brother comes and they carry me, both of them carry me to the car and then we rush to the hospital, the emergency room. And you know how you go to the emergency room and like you still have to wait like five hours? They took me immediately because my vitals were done for, like all over the place. So come to find out, I almost died. Like my levels were so low, my blood pressure, everything. And I was in the ICU for two days. What I found out later was that I had um, ovarian hyperstimulation, which happens from the egg harvesting. Oh. And it only happens to 2% of women. So I'm very special. I got the 2%. (laughs) I'm the 2%. And mixed with that, with the chemo, wiped out my white blood cells completely. And my body just was like, what is happening? It shut down. So being a fertile, fertile myrtle, just kind of like through all of your vitals all over the place and exactly. just shut it down. Exactly. Exactly. So it's ovarian hyperstimulation. So they're already stimulating your ovaries and the eggs and everything like that. And it's supposed to go back, but mine didn't. It was just still... It's like, hey, I like doing this. Right. <laughs> and so I found out that's what happened. And that, that it was like the perfect storm of the ovarian hyperstimulation and the chemo treatment that just almost killed me. And wow. Dr. Croner was like, this has never happened. Doctor, even my oncologist said, this has never happened. We've never, they were like, what happened? They were so concerned. And of course, they have never seen this before. And I'm like, well. So I was in the hospital for like eight days. It was crazy. My stomach was huge. They weighed me. I was 165, which I'm only 5'3". Okay, I'm 5'2". I'm 5'2". <laughs> 
I I've been you, telling that lie know, so long. I, I look, look. I know how it is. I just, I just <laughs> like that you owned up to it, even though you didn't have to. Nobody can see you here. <laughs> You're like I'm five three. You know, I'm five two. I know. I think I have to stop lying, Kimberly. Just, just embrace yourself. It's who you are. You're five two. So, anyways, so we found out that my body was retaining fluid. And my stomach was huge. I was 165. And now on my medical record, it says that I'm obese because of that. Isn't that crazy? They don't take into consideration what was going on with me. They're like, oh, like, you know, if you look at your charts, it's like um, things that are wrong with you. So, of course, you know, breast cancer, blah, 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 obesity. I'm like, that was just because I was in the hospital and I had this stomach full of fluid. So anyway... So I had this, uh, I, I, it was the worst time of my life in there. I feel like I was in jail. I thought I was, it was, I couldn't drink anything. I had like acid reflux. My stomach was huge and they couldn't tap my stomach because they were afraid that I was going to get an, an infection because of my white blood count. It was so low. Like I had no immune system whatsoever. It was gone, gone. Everyone that came into my room had to wear gloves and like masks. It was like crazy until they got my immune system back up. I had to get these shots. Oh so many shots so many shots to get my immune system up and then finally it was at a place where they could finally tap my stomach it was like literally two and a half jugs like of kombucha that's what it looked like a beer that came out of my stomach and i was awake for that as well i'm awake for everything (laughs) it's like a tube in my stomach and then all they pumped out the fluid that was all in my stomach and it's the craziest thing seeing i was like all that was inside of me it was like a brown like Oh my goodness. Weird. So after that was done, okay, get out of the hospital. I come home. Um, Mind you, this is all only after one round of chemo. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. One round of chemo, and that happened to me. And I was just like, it w- made me fearful. I was like, do I, is this going to happen? I was so scared to take my second, you know, chemo session. I was just like, oh my gosh. But thank God my chemo sessions were like two weeks apart. You know, so you get the first one and you get, you know, two weeks off and then you get another one. So you had time to recover and gear up again for the next one. Yeah, exactly. Not too much time because I spent most of that time in the hospital. But then I got home and I was so happy to be home. And this was December. This was the first week of December when this happened. And I was just so happy to be home and out of the hospital and being stuck. And people think you can get rest at a hospital. No, ma'am. They come and they check on you every 15 minutes. Like you don't sleep in the middle of the night. Wake up, time taking medication, time to get a shot. And you're like, yeah, they have no problem doing (laughs) that. Yeah. I mean, I know they were doing their job, but it's just like, oh my gosh, you can't rest. So anyway, it was nice to be home. I got home and at the time I had really long hair. It was like down my back. I was so proud of it because I was growing it, you know, making sure I was taking care of my hair. And of course with chemo, your hair falls out. And after, it's usually two to three weeks after your first treatment, your hair starts falling out. So I was at home and I was bent. And then when I was in the hospital, I couldn't take a shower for that whole time. So I was sitting there. I was like, oh, I should should take a shower and wash my hair, you know. But I was like kind of just detangling my hair, just touching my hair a little bit before I got into the shower. And chunks of hair were just coming off. And it felt like a Band-Aid being pulled off of your like not hurt it doesn't hurt but that weird feeling of like putting tape on you and it yeah. peels off that's how my hair was coming off like that I was like oh my gosh it's happening already like already like I knew it was gonna happen but I didn't know it was gonna happen this soon it's so traumatic so I took a shower and I washed my hair and it was I've never seen so much hair and every time you touch it just it just more. keeps coming out and this was the first day I got back I did this because I wanted to take a shower and you know it's dirty being in the hospital and so after I took a shower, I was like, 
I can't sit here and just go through this for at least two weeks before it all falls out. You know what I'm saying? Or a week. I was like, let's just shave it. It was just a weird... I don't know how, it's like how to explain like doing that and seeing yeah. <laughs> like so much. And you don't realize how much hair you have on your head because I'm like, that can't have more hair. Like when I was in the shower washing my hair, I had so much hair came out. I was like, I have nothing left by the time I get out. <laughs> but I still had hair. I was like, what is going on? It's crazy. So anyway, I decided not to live that trauma every day for the next week. So I had my husband Good shave choice. my head. Yes. yes. I said, let me just take control of the situation and just shave my head. It's going to happen anyway. Why not do it now? So I just shave, had my husband shave my head. And I documented everything, by the way, because I'm crazy. I documented... You should. Pictures, videos. I have like a 20-minute video of him shaving my head. Um, my sister was there, too. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. So did that. That was very traumatic. You know, it was losing your hair is very. I know it sounds so like, oh, get over, like you're alive, but it's still like, what? I think, you know, there's so many levels to that. I feel like as a woman and also as a black woman, because I think our culture, we have a specific connection to our beauty and the hair and the culture and the history behind it. And also just being a woman in general and the femininity that's attached to it. Mm -hmm. um, and your hair is your crown. Yeah, it's like your crown. Because like on a, on a smaller level, not chemo, but like going through, you know, no one told me after being pregnant that like about eight months after you have your child and after you start weaning with the breastfeeding that possibly your hair can fall out. Really? And so I didn't, I didn't know I did that. hear this before. I didn't know that you would do, sh that shedding would happen. And I remember during your pregnancy, you're glowing, you have this, I have like this big full hair and like, you know, living my best life. And then like eight to nine months later, I'm like, oh, it's fine, it's fine. And then like literally a year later, I looked at a picture and I was like, oh, like half my hair is gone. Like I didn't even realize it. It just kind of just oh. happened is um, it from do they know why i think it's hormonal mm. i haven't bothered to look it up because it won't bring back my hair yeah <laughs> right but i i i think it's just your what happens is your hormonal levels are so high and then they stay high with the breastfeeding and then at some point when you start weaning they just kind of drop and so your body is probably just trying to readjust and that's mm. one of the things that happens gotcha oh um, yeah i've heard that like some people have patches or even their edges yeah. or whatever yeah my edges did too yeah yeah my friend had a baby and she, the same thing happened to her she was just like my hair's breaking off <laughs> it's breaking off she had to cut it it was that bad yeah. but i think hers was mixed with stress as well which wasn't good yeah and i mean make it worse too yeah. but yes but i mean totally traumatic i think for a woman so yeah, for anybody but especially for a woman and for black yeah. women having your hair just gone gone Especially having it, I've had long hair basically all my life, and then to have no hair. Not no, not an in-between, it's just from not long to nothing, like zero. So, anywho, so got, after I did that, and then I got my second chemo treatment, and yes, I felt sick. Yes, I was, you know, lethargic and tired, and it was horrible, but nothing will compare to that first one, because I almost died. <laughs> like, there's nothing. So, the rest of the chemo treatments were a breeze compared to that first one. Yeah, as long as you don't wake up, like, looking like Casper the next day, then it's all good. Exactly. Yeah, so um, the rest of the chemo sessions went well. The things that I saw, of course, your hair falls out. Like, all of your hair. Eyebrows, lashes, everything. <laughs> okay. Hair down under. Yes, hair down under. Earthing. <laughs> You're like a newborn baby. Like, there's no hair on you. It's so weird. And you don't really realize, like, oh, 
that's when it felt like it's just yeah. gone. Like no hair on your I mean, arms, nothing. It's weird. And then um, my nails started turning yellow. That was like crazy and brittle and they would break my fingernails and my toenails. And then also I started getting like sores on my face that I was like, what is happening? Like they, they look like um, boils. Oh my goodness. I know. And it had them on my head too. And Ooh. I was like, <laughs> I was like, that's, that's when I felt like I was a monster. I was like, what is happening? So the chemo attacks all fast growing cells. That's why your hair falls out. And that's why it affects your nails because that's a fast growing cell. And thank God my teeth didn't, you know, go crazy or anything like that. So Can that happen? Yeah. People's teeth, every, like, just stuff. Yeah. I was, yeah, that didn't happen to me. But we got through it and it was, it was okay. So overall, how many rounds of chemo did you have? I had five. Okay. Five rounds of chemo. And I guess mine was like a tough, you know, it's like the hardcore chemo. But it worked. And my mass shrunk, so my body responded well to the chemo. Yay. I was really happy about that, so it shrunk enough. So the next step was to have my surgery. So after the chemo, I had to wait at least a month after the chemo to have my surgery. So to at least to get my immune system back up, to kind of get on like you know normal levels. Um, and by this time, it's the next year. I'm assuming it's 2017, January, February at this point. No. March. March, okay. I think March, yeah. Because my, it was March. Because my first surgery was April 17th, 2017. Yeah, so that was, that's when I had my bilateral mastectomy and my lymph node removal. And that was going to be a 12-hour surgery. Because it's technically two separate surgeries, right? Is it? it? It's not. The same surgeon, Dr. Ali Jones, did my bilateral mastectomy and my lymph node removal. And then my plastic surgeon, Dr. Whitney Burrell. Hi, Whitney, Dr. Whitney. I mean, I had the best team. I mean, they were amazing. They were so good. So she was my plastic surgeon. So she put in, after Dr. Ali Jones did her work, Dr. Burrell went in and put spacers into my breast to keep the pocket open so they can put implants in later. So it was a long surgery. I was in the hospital for a day and it went really well. It was really, really good. Like, I don't do well with pain medications, so it's weird. The IV medication in the hospital, like morphine and all that stuff, I'm really, it affects me a lot. So they don't have to give me much for me to be like, uh, like, oh, I'm woo- <laughs> like, I'm woozy. Like, what's going on? Like, they gave me like one milliliter or something. And my husband was like, maybe just 0.5 for her. And it was like, like, they can't give me a lot. And then the pill form just made me super sick. So I couldn't take that. So the recovery process from the surgery was really difficult because I wasn't on any pain medication. Mm. I was using cannabis instead because it, it was just, it worked better. The the opioids yeah, made me side effects, yeah. sick. I mean, hor- horrible. People like that feeling. I'm like, oh the worst like nauseous and then lightheaded and loopy and I don't I didn't like it so my my doctor when I had my follow-up appointment after my surgery she was like you're not taking your pain medication I was like no she's like Kimberly you can't just stop taking your medication without letting me know I was like I'm so sorry but I just can't do it I just can't so she tried to give me all you know different other pain medications that might work um none of them work none of them none of them worked you're just not an opioid opioid girl. No, I'm not. Thank Cannabis goodness. helped me yeah. get through. So anyway, went through that. 
Then I had radiation, which they went, they were aggressive with. Dr. Khan, I know all my doctors' names, just boom. Dr. Khan's amazing too. So he wanted to be do uh, aggressive radiation because I was so young. And that, you know, um, the radiation, radiation is done to make sure there aren't any trace amounts of the cancer cells that may not be seen in an ultrasound or wherever. So the smallest amount of cancer that you might have left over. In your bloodstream or whatever. Yeah, in your tissue that's so tiny that you can't even see. So that's what radiation does. And so you radiate that the areas of, you know, the infected areas. And he, you know, was aggressive. And radiation isn't painful, but you're really tired and your all of the skin that's radiated is all jacked. Like it's dark and it looks like someone beat you up. And then my skin started ripping because it just starts ripping your skin. It's just horrible. <laughs> so at this point you didn't, you had had the mastectomy and the lumpectomy, but you, so you just had spacers in? Or? I had a bilateral uh, mastectomy and lymph node removal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but you hadn't had the breast implants in no. for the radiation. Okay. Right. No, no. They don't want them in. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then I had the radiation and it was like for like a month, but it was like almost every day. No, once. I'm sorry. Not every day. I felt like it was twice a week or something for like a month or whatever. And it was just horrible because your skin is just not happy with you at all but it was necessary and I even got a second opinion because he wanted to be so aggressive with it because my first surgeon was like I don't I don't think we found a little bit of the cancer cells in your lymph nodes still after chemo so that's why they really wanted to go aggressive with the radiation so anyway I did that and at this time I'm just like going with the flow oh I didn't tell you about my breakdown I had my breakdown after I came back from the hospital Okay. I, I forgot to tell you when I cried. <laughs> yes, that, I had that two, moment. Okay. Yeah, I had two breakdowns. One was after the hospital because I survived and I was like, what is happening with my life? And then the other time was, I think it was my last surgery. And I was, I had three surgeries, constructive surgeries. At the last one, I think I was just so, my body was just so tired and I was just like, I can't. Like and, and I'm not on pain medication. You know, I'm just trying to like, Grit and bear yeah. it. It was hard, and I was just like, I'm. T- I can't. I can't do this anymore. I don't want another needle stuck in me. I don't want another surgery. I don't want to do. I just don't. Like I couldn't remember a time where I wasn't hurting or I felt okay. And even till this day, my body's still not right. Yeah. Like I'm just not right. You're ne- this, never going to be the same. And at this point, it seems like it's nearing a year. So you've been going through getting stuck with needles and seeing blood gushing and almost dying. <laughs> You know, and it doesn't seem like that there is an end. So yeah. the second time you have the breakdown, at that point, you're so exhausted. You're so tired. What is it that keeps you going at that point? Besides the fact that, I mean, obviously you have to keep going because right. you're in the midst of it. But like, what what do you say to yourself to... Yeah. So if we can back up a little bit. I remember when I got my diagnosis and... Um, and when I start started to begin the journey, I remember I'm a Christian, and so I prayed, and I was just asking for guidance or just feeling confirmation in my spirit, like, is everything going to be okay? Am I going to make this? And I felt in my spirit that I was going to make it through. Like, this is, I'm not going to die. I'm, you just have to, in my, it just kept reaffirming it. You just have to get through it. You just have to get through it. And then it'll be done. 
You have to get through. So that second, that last breakdown, I was like, <laughs> I'm not strong enough. That's what I kept saying. I'm not strong enough to deal with this. I just can't. I can't anymore. And then my spirit was like, all you have to do is get through it. You just have to hold on and just get through it. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, I can do it. But you sometimes you need those outbursts. You need to release. You need to have that emotional outburst or whatever. I will say, my husband said I was a really great patient. Like, I used to, I think we talked about this last time, where people use a sickness or whatever they're going through to be mean to people. And that's something that I didn't do. Right. Like, I didn't lash out. Oh, I'm, you don't know what I'm going through. Like, you know, I never did that. It doesn't give you, you know, free range to do whatever you want and treat people any kind of way. And my husband and my family, I don't know if I even said that, my husband and my family were amazing. They were so there for me. And some of my closest friends were, they, I had a great support system. I had a great team of doctors. A lot of people, it's so important. I don't know how people would do this on their own. Like when I hear like, oh, I, I didn't tell anybody. I was just going through it by myself. What? Yeah. That is insane to me. You know, I had such a great support system. And my doctor said I'm doing so well, too, and that I am getting better and that they were so happy with everything that I went through that my heart was fine, my kidneys, like everything was still good. Like, you're in good shape. (laughs) They were also, like, so happy about it. And so it made me like, okay, all right, I'm doing this, you know. So, you know, you have to have that breakdown, but you can't stay there and wallow in it. It's okay to have those feelings, but you have to pick yourself back up. You can't stay there. There's there's nothing that's going to come of that, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> going down the drain. <laughs> yeah, so... So then I had my... After the radiation, I had my reconstruction surgery, and I had large breasts, and I wanted smaller breasts. And a lot of people have small breasts, and they want bigger breasts when they, you know, get breast implants. Yeah, and, I would probably offer them <laughs> Right. I mean, I love my small boobs, but I think if I were, had the, it was it'd be like, yeah, sure, go cup size up. Yeah, why not? Live life. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Most people do it. It's also, it's just, you know, you want what you don't have. Always. Yeah, exactly. So I always had big breasts. I was a 34 double D. So my surgeon had a hard time shrinking my skin to accommodate. I would even want them smaller than this. I want it small, like, you know, cute. But these are C's, so I'm a 34 C now. They look great, though. Thank you. <laughs> Not that you asked for my opinion. And but. I've been walking around like Rihanna and my embarrass my husband because I don't wear bras. But I'm wearing, he's like, Kimberly, it's sometimes you got to wear a bra. I was like, no, I'm wearing a bra now. But I usually, I, I don't, now I don't, because I always had to wear a bra. Like I all, I could never leave the house without a bra. And so now I'm like, I don't have to wear a bra. I can wear my back out. I can shop. That's like the best thing ever. I can shop and wear like, you know, stuff that you don't have to wear a bra with. Like it was amazing. I love it. I love it. So, yeah, I, I had my um, implants done. She shrunk. She was so amazing because I had so much extra skin. And it doesn't always just snap back, but it took a while. But she got it done right, and it's they're great, and I love them. And so after that, oh, I'm on medication. Talk talking about the medication. So I'm, now I'm on medication called tamoxifen. And it basically suppresses my hormones, and it's the worst thing ever. I have to be it on this. It suppresses everything, or just the estrogen? Hormones. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I have to be on it for 10 years. Oh, wow. That and is. it's, yeah, it's a lot. It's basically putting you through menopause. That's where I'm in right now. That's why I have hot flashes. And then it changes your mood. I hate calling mood swings, because I feel like it just... It, 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 I, mood swing sounds so like, oh, you're just having a mood swing. It's like that. No, it's like, it's hardcore. 
I feel like I'm crazy sometimes. I'm like, oh, this stupid medication. Like, it's the worst. And you know what it is. And I can't get back. I, it's really difficult to find that balance of just, like, get back to who Kim really is. Like, you know, you have to, like, meditate and really think back on it. Because you, you're just all over the place. Yeah, it's the medication's horrible, horrible, horrible. horrible. So how often do you have to go back to the doctor for checkups? Um, when I first finished, it was every three months. So now it's like every four months. And then it'll just be, it'll go down to like every two, twice per year. Okay. And so for that, it's a mammogram every time? Oh, I no longer have to have a mammogram since I don't have any breasts. Oh, right. Yes, yes. Breast tissue. Yeah. So, no yeah, breast so you tissue. Have to do that. So then for the checkup, what do they do? Blood work. Okay. So there's like markers in your blood that you can see if this level goes up and that means something's happening in your body again. Oh, so you do okay. blood work every time and they test that and they see and if there's something levels aren't right, then you know something has come back or something's happening and you have to start different tests and stuff like that. But mine have been great. So nothing so far. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really, really happy about that. But the worst thing, okay, the medication's really bad. And then also because they took out my lymph nodes, I'll be battling lymphedema. So I have to wear a sleeve. What's lymphedema? Lymphedema. It's like uh, the swelling of limbs. Okay. So when you see like, it's usually older people. It's so funny when I, when I used to go to the doctor, like I was like the youngest. I'm always like the youngest person in the, you know, in the place. I'm like, no, I'm not picking up my mom. I'm, it's for me. It's my appointment. It's like crazy. But anyway, because they the lymph nodes help move all the fluid and blood and everything throughout your system, mine were 17 were taken away. So my body's trying to adjust. cope, adjust and like keep the flow going. And I mean, it'll swell up. Like, my whole arm and my hands. You see I have wrinkles in my hand? Like, even on my fingers, right? Tons of wrinkles. It was no wrinkles. It was just, <laughs> like, huge. So I had to go to, you know, occupational therapy. And it was just, it's just, and still not right. When I work out, I get this sharp pain. And even I get phantom pains. And <sighs> just not right. But I'm here. But you're here. That's you're I mean, being positive. I'm here. And I'm living my best life right now. I can't complain about anything. And I have such a different outlook on life. And after going through something like that, it's just like... So you how did it do... change? It's just, I don't let things get to me. Like, I don't sweat the small stuff at all anymore. Life's too short. I remember, you know, being an actor, I never wanted to go out of town. Because I was like, a job might come up. <laughs> and every time you book something, a job comes up of anyway. Of course, yes. Every yes, single time. Every Murphy's single time. Law. Like, it always, just every single time. So, I was like, screw that. I'm going, like, I'm, I don't care. Like, I just don't care anymore. And it helped my auditions and inform. Like, I just didn't, things didn't carry much weight anymore to me. I'm not tripping over an audition. You know, I just go in there and I'm like, this is me. This is who I am, point blank in the period. Take it or leave it. Yeah, that's it. You just, you don't care <laughs> about think, the small stuff anymore. I think that takes away so much from just life in general, but also from this particular career. It takes off so much pressure to just, it just, it gives you permission to just be yourself. Which, oddly enough, the majority of the world, I feel like, we feel like we have to be given permission in a way mm -hmm. to be ourselves, Because at a certain point, I feel like a lot of us are kind of steered away from who we were born as, like some of those traits. And so I feel like most of our adult life, we're moving back towards to where mm. we were meant to be. 
Mm-hmm. So it almost feels like not that this is an ideal way for that to that portal to open back up to you, but and, and not to say that you had no trace of yourself before this, but I think it gives you more ownership over your life. Yeah, definitely. And I'm just I, and it's it's kind of like you're just more bold with the things that you want. Like doing my my project that I'm working on right now or that I did. It was always something that I wanted to do, but I'm like, you can't put things off anymore. You just got to do it. Yeah. So it has got it has that just do it spirit. Like just do it. Just <laughs> whatever it is, just do it. Like get it done. Yeah. There's no tomorrow. You can't wait for next week, next month. Stop putting things off and so my procrastination on things have it's gone. So let's talk about the project cuz I know by the time this comes out, it's going to be out. Hope so. <laughs> well, <laughs> You're like, well, maybe not. Well, let's pretend well, yeah. like let's pretend maybe, like it maybe is. Maybe it will, because I want to shop it around before I put it up. Okay. So uh, I don't know what's going to happen with it. Okay. Be- we'll tell what you can tell about it. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I can. Yeah. I can definitely talk about it. So it's called The Dreamers. I wrote it as a web series. So there's six episodes, all under ten minutes. And it follows two sisters basically going after their dreams and the roadblocks and experiences that happen to them along the way. And it's a comedy. And I, I pitch it as I Love Lucy meets Insecure. That's okay. kind of how it is. Because they find themselves in these crazy situations just like Lucy and Ethel used to do. But it's like from an urban outlook. I hate that word urban. I don't know why I even used it. <laughs> From the black perspective, yes. you know, so... It's like neo-soul. Like, my husband hates neo-soul. Oh, right, right. <laughs> he hates that phrase, neo-soul. Yeah. He's like, every time I hear it, I think of, like, some dude sitting on, on the stoop, just, like, singing by himself. He's like, I hate that word, neo-soul. <laughs> so, yeah, urban is, like, in that same... No, it's so I feel like is. those words... Sorry, white people. I feel like those words are made to, for white people. Yes, because they don't know how to yeah, it's like, communicate oh, with... Yeah. What is this? Oh, it's how do we describe a new level of soulfulness to them? <laughs> Neo soul. How do we describe the world of black people? Urban. Urban. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 what those words exactly, are. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. so yeah. You know, it was my first this is my first big project. I've directed and written sketches and, you know, a play and things like that, but I haven't done my own project from top to bottom. So this is that, the dreamers, and um I wrote it, I produced it, I directed it, and I'm starring in it along with my sister Dana Dooley. And she's I'm in the editing sessions right now and she is so funny. Like I can't even with her. She's so <laughs> Things that I didn't even catch because I'm acting in the scene with her and I might be looking this way and things that she's doing that I'm seeing now, I'm like, oh. It's like so perfect. Um, now that you know you're editing, now you're like, ah, yeah. Now that you're in the process, now you see like the fruits of your labor. Like you see it's coming together. Like, yeah. You see that your vision coming together in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. And to see like, you know, how far I've come from the beginning. To, and I did it legit. I went through SAG. So I. That was a lot. Doing it the right way oh, is yeah. a lot of work. I was like, oh my gosh. But I had a great team, great people, and I put in a lot of favors to get it done, and it was worth it. I'm so excited for you. Thank you. Well, gosh, it has been so crazy and amazing and just really eye-opening to hear your 
complete journey on this. And just also, I mean, the, obviously the journey is not done because this is ongoing for you. Yeah. But to see where you came from and where you ended up now and to see, you know, your future is bright and you're moving on and you're pushing forward mm-hmm. and uh, you're living the dream. Yes, the dreamers. Uh, 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 wink, <laughs> dream wink, series. Wink. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> this has been so great talking to you. Thank, Thank you, you for so having me. Much, Kimberly, I'm for glad coming. I could share. Hopefully I'll, you know, people can hear this and if someone's going through it themselves, hopefully my story encourages them. You're going to get through it. Um, just stay strong and stay positive. All right, girl. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Okay, where can people continue to follow you and keep up with you and find out what you're doing and find out more about the Dream Series? How can people just know more about you? Where well, can they go? Well, I'm usually on the gram. That's like my my uh, main social media platform that I use. So it's just Kimberly Dooley. That's my handle, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-Y-D-O-O-L-E-Y. And that's the same for Facebook, the same name. And then for Twitter, it's one at one Kimberly Dooley. So it's pretty simple to find me. You can find her. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for You're joining You're very welcome. Today. Thank you for having me. And I'm glad I could share my story. Always, always. Yeah. You guys, isn't Kimberly great? I love speaking to her. She is um, a breath of fresh air Um, and so funny. And what's interesting about this interview is that actually (laughs) she was full disclosure, full disclosure. She was the first person I interviewed for this podcast. And I had to have her come back because uh, my computer stopped recording in the middle of it. And I didn't realize it until we were done doing the interview. And we were like, oh, that was so great. We had a good time, blah, blah, blah. And then I had to have her come back and be like, uh, I'm sorry, Kimberly. Uh, we only got 15 minutes of that hour in a half interview. So she graciously came back and yeah, gave us all the sun and the light and the stars. And she's just beautiful. And I'm so happy that she is a survivor. We need more people like her in this world. That upbeat personality, that optimistic viewpoint, that person that just pushes through and, you know, strives to get to the other side. We need more people like that. And so I'm grateful to have her on this earth. And I'm so grateful that she came and did an interview with me. I hope you guys liked it. I hope you guys loved it. And if you did, please go to our iTunes and subscribe. Subscribe. Tell us how you liked it. Give us a five-star rating. I hope that's what you're giving us. And feel free to follow us on any of our social medias on Instagram at that one blank friend on Twitter at that one blank FR one, you know, let me know what you're thinking. Let me know uh, how you feel about this podcast. This is a community. That's what I'm trying to create. I want to hear from you guys. Also, if you know anyone, if you think they might be right for this podcast, if you think you might be right for this podcast, do you have a story to tell out there? Do you have a journey that maybe no other friend can understand? Please hit me up. Send me an email. And let me know that one blank friend at gmail.com. I want to know. I want to know more about you guys so that our friends and our friends of friends and our friends of friends of friends can learn from all of us and that we can learn from them rather. Thank you guys. Until next time. 
Talk soon.